Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry. And as always, we're here to talk about what's new and what's next in e-commerce. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is YouTube advertising and video in general. My guest is Tom Breeze, and Tom is the founder of the video advertising agency, Viewability. Tom hails from the UK, across the pond. He has a phenomenal British accent. You're gonna love listening to this guy, uh, not just because of the amazing, silky smooth voice, but the material is phenomenal. He and I first met at the Traffic and Conversion Summit in San Diego. A mutual friend of ours, Russ Hineberry, made the intro. We got to hang out, kick around ideas for YouTube. It was phenomenal, I was blown away. I knew at that point I wanted to have him on the show. Uh, and as you know, we we also run some YouTube ads at our agency as well. We primarily focus on Shoppable TrueView. That's the, the joining of Google Shopping and YouTube. So go back and listen to that episode. I've got an episode dedicated to Shoppable TrueView, so check that out. But I really wanted to dig in and see how does Tom and how does their agency approach YouTube ads from the targeting, you know, because there are some phenomenal capabilities to target just the right audience in YouTube, how he structures the video ads and how he looks for moments of, of when someone is gonna be open to your product or your service, or your information, and how to zero in on that and target that. Tom has been extremely successful. He's worked with some, some phenomenal marketers like Frank Kern, Neil Patel. Frank even mentioned that YouTube ads are working better for him than Facebook ads, and specifically the campaigns that Tom built. And so with that, I really hope you enjoy my interview with Tom Breeze. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by Zipify Pages, taking the pain out of building powerful, high converting e-commerce landing pages. If you're on Shopify, you have to check out Zipify Pages and also one-click upsells built by my friend and e-commerce entrepreneur, Ezra Firestone. Check it out at zipify.com. My guest today is Tom Breeze of Viewability, and I'm so excited about this interview. As most of you know, I'm a huge fan of video and YouTube. And actually, quick background, I got my start in TV and radio, but primarily TV. So I've always loved video and what this can do for a business. And so totally geeking out about YouTube. Quick setup, though, before I, I uh, bring Tom on. He and I both spoke at the Traffic and Conversion Summit in San Diego earlier this year. Uh, he got rave reviews. I got to catch just a glimpse of the presentation. I was so bummed I didn't get to see more of it. But we ended up getting to, to hang out uh, with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Russ Henneberry from Digital Marketer, grabbed lunch together. And then I was hooked, uh, not only because this guy knows YouTube, but he also has a killer British accent. So uh, with that, Tom, man, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Cheers, Brett. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'm all English accent. That's all I've got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you know, I think you've got to use whatever you have. And that's definitely, I think, uh, uh, something in your favor. So you, you use it well. Use it well. <laughs> okay, so, good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, if you would. I just gave a little bit of my background. You know, I did, did some video. And now I'm primarily a search guy, right? So our, our agency is mainly known for Google Shopping. And and uh, we do some shoppable TrueView, which is a little niche of... of uh, uh, YouTube, but but talk about your background if you would. How did you get here? How did you become this this YouTube guru? <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. So apparently every guru has a story. Yes. But mine's not actually that inspiring. So <laughs> it's just a lot of hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so when I uh, when I was around about when was it? I must have been about 21, 22, I um, went to university and, oh no, it must be 19, I went to university and did three years worth of psychology and absolutely fell in love with the subject. I hadn't done it before. I was just like completely hooked. I loved how people 
um, behave, how people think, how people act. And um, as a result, I kind of like just fell in love with the subject and I carried on to do my master's. And during my master's, we focused on lots of different disciplines. We touched on advertising. And actually at the time, I was not actually that focused on it. I much preferred, much preferred the sport area. And uh, so, but I, I learned a lot about um, advertising. Now, now just to clarify, you, you enjoyed sports psychology or you were into sports like you were, you were an athlete? Bit of both. I wouldn't say I was a, a, like a professional athlete at all, but um, no, I just loved sport at the time. I was really into my golf and psychology. So I used to kind of work with golfers and improve their game via just their mental side of their game. And that's kind of like, I had a very scientific background as well as like a focus on sport. So in the, U, in the UK, we've been slow on the uptake of sports psychology, hence why I never actually pursued it. But um, if I was in the States, maybe doing golf, it may have taken off in a completely different direction. But we're all fuddy-duddies over here. I don't know, do you use that phrase? I'm not yeah, sure fuddy-duddies? Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I mean, I don't use okay. it on a, on a daily basis, but I'm totally familiar with it. And yeah, sports psychology, performance psychology is so fascinating to me. And I think it has application to the entrepreneurial world as well. So that, that same, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mental toughness and resilience and self-talk that's critical for a golfer or other athletes, huge for entrepreneurs as well. So that, that, that just, that was interesting to me. So yeah, exactly. So I did like loads and loads of studies around golf and really focused on putting performance. Um, when there's pressure on, when there's not pressure on and all this sort of stuff. And it was, and doing all these different interventions to see which techniques were best for golfers and things. So, um, I kind of like had a very scientific background, loved applying that to different disciplines. And then when I came out of university and, did, and finished my master's, I went straight into, um, London, uh, which where I lived for quite some time. And at that time I started trying to apply what I knew and sport wasn't necessarily the most popular thing to get clients from. It was a kind of a, a, a new thing. But um, what I started doing is applying the, what I'd learned to the business world. And I used to teach people in, uh, how to speak in public. So it was a very similar set of techniques. But I used to say, okay, look, if you're really nervous and anxious before you go and speak in front of a thousand people or so for this upcoming conference you have, here's a few tips, here's a few ways in which you can reduce that anxiety. And it works ridiculously well. So people will come to me, I'll give them a few techniques, they will go away, deliver the best presentation they've given for years, and they'll be like, wow, this is amazing, how do I improve uh, even further from here? And I've kind of generated a business purely around that. So how to speak in public, but the confidence side of it, not necessarily the performance side, it slowly evolved into that. But um, yeah, the, the focus was very much a case of how do I reduce this anxiety and get more confident? So it's interesting, and, and, I, and I don't want to get too far off topic because then we want to get to YouTube, but I think there is a direct application. I know, I know you're getting there in the story, but do you have like one or two tips for, for how someone can increase confidence and, 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 and lower the, the anxiety before speaking in public without you know, making that a whole separate podcast? Any, <laughs> yeah. any, qu any quick tips there? So there's never a quick tip. Like it, obviously the things like the breathing techniques beforehand, like, like if you're just about to go and speak on stage, breathing, like really focus on your breathing and breathing in for four seconds and releasing for eight seconds has been like a real quick tip that's worked very well for a lot of people because it takes your focus away from yourself and what's going on inside of you to focus on something like your breathing and, and then start visualizing what is going to happen in the next few moments. And really, and if you're realistic with yourself, it really helps. So a lot of people feel like they have to be this performance guru, for example, when they're just about to go and speak. That's not the case at all. You just have to get through the first few seconds, maybe the first minute or so. And then after that, you're like, okay, I can settle in. And we've all had that experience before where that first 30 seconds is tough, but then 
we all of a sudden, by the end of the presentation, if we if it's going well, you almost don't want to get off stage. You're like, oh my God, I love this feeling. This is going really well. Everyone's listening. And so that's kind of like, we all know we can get there, but it's just that thir- first 30 seconds. If you really prepare for that, of course, you've got to prepare for the rest of it as well. But if you really nail that first 30 seconds, that makes it a lot easier. And we, we use something like a, a communication model, which is a four-step sequence. We kind of introduce a topic, get people really thinking about it and get really interested in what you have to say and then go into your presentation. And that's that's the 30 seconds that just sets up the whole presentation. And so if yeah. you can get that right, it makes life a lot easier. Um, Beautiful. But, we, but with the psychology stuff, it's like, really, I think deep down, people know that there's two sides of them. There's one side, which is like, I know I can do this. Like physically, I can stand there and deliver a presentation. I, I've got the physical attributes to be able to do that. But then there's this other part of me that's pulling me back and it's making me feel really anxious and it's thinking of the worst thing. And instead of trying to forget that part of your brain, instead of doing that, instead focus on the fact that, sure, that that might happen. It could happen. I could completely fluff my lines. I could get it all completely wrong. And to try and ignore it, it just gets stronger. So it's like focus on it and say, well, if that does happen, what am I going to do? And let's try and think of a strategy around that. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, that's actually not that difficult. It's not that bad. If Even if that worst case scenario in my head turns out to be true, there's still ways I can get around it. It's not going to be the perfect thing ever to happen to me, but I can deal with that. And as soon as you have that, you remove a lot of the anxiety that's kind of like the irrational anxiety. And as soon as you've done that, then if you can take off like 50% of the anxiety that you normally experience when you're about to speak in public, that feels like a a thousand times better. Absolutely. It's a huge weight that's lifted. Exactly. And then then once you've given a good presentation a couple of times, you're off and running, it all feels good. Yep. Yep. Okay, great. So uh, so I've I've diverted you, but that was was awesome. That was really helpful. Uh, so So then how did this psychology and helping people learn to speak in public, how did that then then transition or lead to, to YouTube? Yeah, so I started doing a lot more workshops. But um, the way that I was promoting myself on my website to begin with was very much like, hey, I kind of do everything. I can do, help you with your anxiety. Then it became like, let's niche in or niche in um, and focus on just public speaking. So anyone who's fearful of that moment that had to stand in front of a thousand people or 10 people or one person sometimes. And then we got I got really good at that message and kind of like focusing on those sorts of people. My conversion rates was around about 7% on my website, but that was straight from website traffic from Google AdWords, text ads, directly to booking like a, a, a session with me. Um, so, and that was like 500 pounds, which would have been around about $750 or so. It's really good, really good conversion rate. Yeah. So, that, so that's 7% to a paid customer, not just someone filling out a form. Exactly. It was wow. kind of like a, it was like a paid application type thing. And then I'll call them back and then like, it'll be like a 80% conversion rate from there. Cause they all knew the price. They knew what was happening. I just need to double, double check. They'll be right. So to speak for the, for the session we'd have with them. And it would be like a half day session. So it'd be like, you come into the office and you sit with me for four hours and I'll make you a really confident speaker. So it's a, it's a really easy thing to pitch and works incredibly well from Google AdWords. Cause it was the good old days of Google AdWords as yeah, well. Yeah. And the profit margins were really high, but my business was very capped. So, uh, like I remember one time I looked at my diary and I was booked out for like three months solid. And it was just that time when my, <laughs> my wife had become a teacher and it came out to the summer holidays. And I was like, Oh my God, I've actually got no time to go on holiday with you. <laughs> yeah, Your time is not so scalable. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. uh, so. and so I started doing these group workshops, but the way that I sold the group workshop, I did it via video for the first time ever. I was like, okay, like my normal conversion rate is around about 7%. Did this video on my website. And it jumped overnight to 21%. Actually, it was 22%. Um, so it tripled overnight. It's just a little bit more than tripled overnight. Same ad, same ad spend, same um, kind of like traffic going to the website, um, just with this video now. And the conversion rates tripled. 
And I, I remember just waking up thinking, oh my God, I must have spent a fortune on AdWords yesterday because I've just got three times as many um, prospects coming through. And it wasn't that. I, the price was exactly the same. Hadn't changed the campaigns for a while now. I just had got like tripled my conversion rate. And I don't, I think my actual um, conversion rate on the phone probably dropped by about 10% or something like that. But still, it was that huge result as a result of one video. And so we started, I started selling these group uh, sessions because I just got too many people coming through. And then at one of these group sessions, the one of the delegates came to me and said, hey, look, I love what we're doing here, but I really want to learn how to speak on video like you did to sell this workshop. I was like, oh, cool, I can teach you that. And I said to the um, audience, well, we had, there's only 20 people in the workshop at the time. I said, hey, guys, if I taught you how to speak on camera, not just in public, would you be interested? And all of them were like, yeah, that's kind of why we're here. Oh, wow. Uh, because, okay. because a lot of um, corporates would actually do a lot of presentations to their team or to the rest of the company via video. So they'd like set these videos up to so the whole, that if it's, especially if it's an international organization, it meant that they didn't have to go and like travel around and just do this one a presentation in a green screen studio and then that'll be it and it'll go out to the, the rest of the uh, c- company and so immediately i was like well do you want me to show you how to do these videos then and everyone was like yes so i started teaching how to present on video as this like sub uh, niche so to speak and then off the back of that um a few of the entrepreneurs in the room were like well if you can teach me how to speak on camera can i put a video on my website like you do and i was like well yeah sure i'll show you that as well and from there it just kind of like, it, I turned it more into like a video production company alongside the actual communication to how, so how to communicate on video, how to come across and clarify your message and then how to film that and put it on your website. We did a lot of that. And then um, I started getting into much more of the promotional aspect of it as well. So I was like, well, now we've done this video, you don't just have to send your email market, like email market to your current list. You can actually put this on YouTube now. And we did a lot of SEO stuff in the past. But then I started focusing a lot more on uh, the advertising spend of that as well. So it kind of evolved, really. Um, when I, whenever I speak to any of my friends, they didn't really knew, know what I did in the past. <laughs> they were like, you do something about public speaking, don't you? And they still think that I do that today. They don't still, <laughs> if I say I do YouTube yeah. advertising, they're like, I don't really know what you're talking about. It's probably public speaking stuff still. <laughs> so um, awesome. most people don't actually know what I do. But uh, yeah, so now it's like we just niched down. The agency's grown. Um, we're up to around about 10 people now in the agency. So it's still a boutique agency, but we've got some amazing results with different clients. And we love what we do. So it's very cool. Yeah. And and I want to dig into your methodology and how you approach YouTube advertising. And I'll share a little bit about, you know, kind of how we look at it as well, which I think will be, mm. will be interesting. And and you guys work with some pretty big name people in the industry, like Neil Patel and Frank Kern. And and, and uh, you want to mention some of the, the folks you've worked with just as a little credibility booster? <laughs> yeah, sure. So as you say, uh, Neil Patel, Frank Kern, Brenda Bashard, we're just about to start some stuff with Dean Graziosi. Um, Amy Porterfield, there's, yeah, I'm probably missing some names actually, but um, yeah, uh, the guys at Webinar Jam, so Andy Jenkins and the team there. Um, yeah, some very, very cool clients. Awesome. And yeah, it's that sort of thing where like, I don't know if I'd looked at that sort of list that we've got now two years ago, I'd be like, this is a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, and right. so it's just been one of those things where it's amazing, like when you start getting some good results and and people like what you do. <laughs> it's amazing how far that stretches very quickly. It's almost like the the marketing we haven't had to focus on because we just focus on the product. Yeah, and it's done its thing. It's the way to do it, and and it's so interesting to me. You know, the the, the online marketing community is actually pretty small, and if you look at the e-commerce community, it's smaller than you think. You know, once you start making a few connections and and producing some good results, 
that word spreads or, or, or conversely, if you don't do a good job, that, that would spread too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's awesome. You guys have done, done so well. So let's, let's kind of dive in and, and look at, okay, if, if we get an e-commerce merchant listening and so, you know, most of our listeners are, are B2C e-commerce companies. Mm-hmm. We do have a, a contingent of B2B e-commerce companies as well, which is interesting, but how, how would one determine whether YouTube advertising is, is right for them, right? So, so everyone listening pretty much mm. is already doing search and shopping and some of the basics. Maybe they're experimenting with Facebook. How do they know if they should experiment with YouTube or not? Joe, this is a really good question because this is like the ultimate question. We've actually got a tool for it on our website now um, to, to help answer this. But like the there's three questions that I think are critical to start with, with any campaign on YouTube. And that's kind of the three questions we typically would ask would be, do you have an audience on YouTube that would be interested in what it is you sell? Um, are they going to YouTube? Um, well, would, would they share that common interest around what it is you potentially sell? Like, you, like on Facebook, if someone's interested in something, you can sell to that audience. Um, then the next question would be like, well, are they actually going to YouTube and searching for this? Are they wanting to know something, do something, buy something? Are they going to YouTube to do that? And like, so with e-commerce, are they looking up review videos? Are they looking up how-to videos? And you have something that would be directly relevant for them. Um, and then also the third question we typically ask is, if you've already got a lot of traffic going to your website, uh, well, do you have a lot of uh, traffic already going to your website? So that's a yes, then remarketing will become a big play as well uh, with YouTube. Um, the big one for YouTube in order to grow rapidly, um, I believe, there's, well, there's, there's two audiences there, which are the search-based audience. Like if your customers already go to YouTube and are typing in keywords around reviews, you need to be there because it's a buying audience. That They're already kind of ready. They're, they're super motivated already. They're ready to make a purchase. Um, a good example of this is like when um, when my wife and I found out we were pregnant, for the second time, uh, well, my wife was pregnant, not me, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and um, when we found that out, then we knew that the age gap between our first son and, and our now second son is 15 months. So it's got a small um, gap there, quite a small window. And that um, those that kind of like 15 month window meant that we had to find a very particular type of stroller or buggy that we call it in the UK, uh, because to have one 15 month year old and also a newborn baby together, we had to find out how that would actually work um, in, a, in a buggy uh, for like one parent to, to drive around. And there's not that many out there that would actually provide that. So um, I went online and was like t- typing in loads of different types of strollers and buggies and looking up all this sort of information and which one's best, which one's not. Buggy is a lot more fun to say than stroller. I think we should really make a push here in the US to start calling them buggies uh, rather <laughs> yes. than strollers. But anyway, that, that, I digress. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll try and call it strollers, but buggies are, yeah, we, we all call it buggies. Buggies more fun. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I needed this like duo one, like a one that kind of like held basically two babies, but different age groups. So it's not a twin thing. It's like a very, very close in age. And uh, it wasn't easy to find them. So obviously the internet was there to help. And, but then obviously everyone promotes it. They say, oh, this is the best thing ever. You've got to check this out. This is, the, this is the best one now. Oh, what about this one? This one's the best one. It's impossible to know which one to actually get. And um, I had certain reservations as the father because, um, Brett, do you have kids or not? 
Well, we, so I was just thinking that my wife and I, I don't, I don't guess we ever got to this. We had lunch. We have eight children. So my wife and I, believe it or not, have eight kids. So you, but you know we, what you're doing. Yeah, we know what we're doing. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've bought a, a buggy or two and they don't make any for eight. Uh, thankfully, you know, the ages are pretty <laughs> spread out. So, uh, so, but yeah, we, we've definitely had, we've had multiple dual strollers and some are better than others, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, my hang up is the number of times I've stood at the like the, the boot of my car and the boot is up and I just can't collapse the stroller. I can't work out how to do it. Um, so just it's like infuriating. Yeah, especially when it's new, right? So you just don't know, like it's crazy. And there's loads of different things that, and with two kids, you can't hold them both. You've got to get them both in the car and it's just difficult. And, and, um, and you so know, they're like, watching you fight with this thing and struggle with this th thing and, and murmur. Yes curse words and things and so yeah and for me it also feels like everyone else is looking at you at the same time like looking at me it feels like as soon as i know that i'm panicking i can't get out like <laughs> collapsed or whatever I, I feel like there's four thousand eyes on me all of a sudden yeah yeah <laughs> it's like, i think it's easier to, to speak in public than to to, to collapse a, oh, a oh stroller God, yeah. in public but anyway I, i've honestly thought about just closing the boot without the buggy in there and just driving off and just being like we'll just buy another one <laughs> it'll exactly. work out exactly <laughs> so as a result i went online looking up all these different um strollers or buggies and um we we found a few that we liked but then we went onto youtube naturally because we typed in this model review and what we wanted is to have like um a parent just basically show you here's how to collapse it here's how light it is here's what they like about it here's what they don't like about it and there are hundreds of videos out there from parents doing this um and they've created these videos because they just want to give advice and value to other parents and it's amazing how valuable those videos are to the consumer and so you end up kind of watching these videos and be like okay cool i know which one to buy now this is they'd literally be like parents saying this is the one that you're wanting to buy but this one's a better one and they literally just show you the two videos it's amazing and um so they give their advice on it what's right what's not and you end up making a purchasing decision really quickly because you're getting that third party advice from that mother or, fa or father that's showing you how to use the stroller and it's all there on YouTube. And the beauty of that is that as an advertiser, you are you can get in front of people just at that moment when they're making that purchasing decision. So if they're looking up a certain type of model, um, as we all do, we might put like like the type of the brand name and the, and the name of the product and then like put review, search that on YouTube. There's going to be hundreds of videos there. But every single one of those videos is relevant because it's your customers doing that. And so you can meet them in that moment and give them a really, really good video that kind of just says, okay, here's what's great about our buggy, our buggy or our stroller that you don't know about just yet. And they just like list off the 10 things that are really, really useful. As a consumer, if I'd seen that ad, I would have bought. If they just give me a link to say, here's how to buy. And because I'm watching on YouTube, maybe here's a 10% discount or anything that you can incentivize that purchase. I would have definitely clicked, bought, and just done. Because normally, most of those decisions you're making at that time are just a bit of a headache. Like you just want the decision done and know you're making a wise decision. It doesn't have to necessarily always be the best one, but just a good enough one. And, um, and so that's kind of like how I look at it on YouTube. There's some people that are going there looking and searching for almost what it is you have. And most people just aren't there. The official stats from Google was nine out of 10 times. Brands are just not there when people are searching for them which is just crazy. It, it is crazy. And, and I think that's, a, I love that approach. And, and we've, we've done that uh, as well with a, a client that sells uh, cell phone cases and screen protectors. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of those categories, maybe not nearly as much research as you, as you would put into buying a, a stroller, 
But still, if you're going to buy the new iPhone, you you want to think about how you're going to protect it. And some people that are tech junkies really think about it. And so we we targeted, you know, iPhone screen protector reviews, iPhone case reviews uh, in YouTube, and and it worked beautifully well. It didn't it didn't appear that really any of our competitors were doing that, which was interesting. So I, I love that feature in YouTube where you can target based on on keywords and how someone's searching because it's such a, a great insight into their intent. And, and where they are in the in the shopping process. So exactly, and you've basically got the perfect products for the perfect person at exactly the right time, and you're just matching that, that those things up. Do you know what I mean? It's like if you just your message doesn't need to be like super salesy. Your video doesn't need to be some amazing whiz bang like production. All it needs to be is like just really useful for the user, really relevant, really helpful, really useful. And if you start there, start with that user in mind and say, what if I saw them face to face and they were in my store asking me questions about this, like what buggy they should get or what stroller they should get. Let me just tell them. Let me give them really good advice. Maybe um, you can kind of like guess a little bit more about like their situation um, based on their demographics or anything like that if you're advertising. But you can just say, hey, look, here's the 10 things about this stroller that you're going to absolutely love that's why it's right for you. Let's just go through them. That's great. And you're just providing really good value and really good content. You're not saying, hey, look, this is the best thing ever and here's why this has been trusted by this, like, and this many reviews and all that sort of stuff. People expect that these days anyway we expect a product to be really really good but we want to be shown some of the features and some of the benefits that we may not have even thought of just yet and so highlighting and demonstrating the value that your product can provide is really key so yeah with iphone uh, cases like if someone's going up and tape like typing into youtube reviews of a certain iphone 7 or iphone is it the iphone 8 that's coming out so i can't remember iphone, iPhone 8 is coming out i it's supposed to be in september i think so we'll see oh there we go so now's the time to be almost advertising <laughs> that makes sense and like like talking about like here's the new iphone 8 um case or whatever it might be um i'm not sure if you i'm not, I'm not sure how these things work i'm not a tech savvy as you might <laughs> <Right> make out <laughs> right okay cool. um but yeah as soon as you know the dimensions you can build a product go for it but um yeah the but then you've got like the so you've got this one side of things where it's like when someone is going to YouTube, actually searching this stuff out. But then you'll have those other people that might not be searching for it, but they're going to be definitely interested. So that might be, if you're selling iPhone cases, it might be saying like reviews of the new iPhone 8, for example. It's like they may not necessarily know whether they want to buy one yet or not. They want to check and see that other people are like raving about it and loving it. And you might say, right, okay, we'll run an ad to that audience as well because they're most likely to be very, very interested. Yes, and and when they and when they buy the iPhone, they're going to need to buy a case or a screen protector. That that's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, so you talk about. I heard you mention there. There's something like 47 different campaign types to run on YouTube. Uh, we can't cover all 47, although that would be awesome and fun. <laughs> uh, can you maybe pick out you know three to five of of your favorite, or you know the handful that you think would probably apply most to an e-commerce merchant? And, and walk through those quickly? Yeah, okay, cool. So where I think most people should get started when they're running YouTube ads is to create like an in-stream ad. And an in-stream ad is like a, a pre-roll ad. We've all been to YouTube before and we've seen them. But um, I'd recommend doing the in-stream one, which is the one where it's like, you're just about to watch a video on YouTube and then an in-stream ad pops up in front of you. And you have that five second window where you have to watch the video and then you can press the skip ad button after five seconds. The great thing is the... Um, as the advertiser is that you only pay when someone watches past 30 seconds or if someone clicks to your website. So you're only going to be paying for a real engaged viewer, which is great. So um, that's always a, a positive aspect of that type of advertising, the financials behind it, I suppose. But the beauty of 
running in-stream ads is that you can choose a targeting type called placements. With placement targeting, and I'd recommend people get into like this campaign, which is what we call an in-stream to placement advertising, is that with placement targeting, you can literally just make a list of all the URLs of the videos that you want your ad to run in front of. So if you said, right, okay, I can do a quick search and say, right, let's say, for example, you're selling um, strollers, and we'll think of a different thing, product in a second, if you like, um, but you, you type in a certain type of stroller, if, especially if you've got the reviews, you can grab all those URLs of those different videos that you could have clicked on to watch and play, and you can copy and paste them into your AdWords account, which means that your ad will run in front of those videos that you've chosen. So you can literally pinpoint the videos you want your ads to appear in front of. And it gives you such granular data that you can see which views on which videos convert for you. And if there's a video in there that's costing you money but isn't converting, you just pause that one and leave the rest on. But you can grab like thousands of videos and Normally, you need a tool for it. We have one at uh, Viewability. There's other tools like V-Roll, for example. AdWords has like a, a miniature one inside of the actual AdWords um, account. But um, yeah, the, the beauty of having an in-stream placement campaign is it gives you all those videos. You can target the ones you want to advertise on. And then it gives you all that granular data. Because the great thing about that is search. So it's not going to get fatigue. It's new people typing this stuff up all the time. And so it's you're only going to appear when it's relevant to the user, which means it's going to be evergreen. Once you've built that campaign, you've got an ad that's relevant for that, um, that searcher, you'll find that your ad will be the perfect message to the perfect person every single time. And so it won't get fatigued. Once you've built it, it's going to be evergreen. It'll just last for you. And once you've built that out and it's, and it's working as, exactly as you want it to and it's and bringing in really high ROI, then you say, great, now let's work on the next keyword or the next kind of um, placement grou uh, grouping, for example. And it means you can just keep on building and building and building and just refining and optimizing all the time and then scaling as well. And the whole process for that with in-stream to placement campaigns is like one of our favorite starting positions, especially if you're new to YouTube or if you want to work with smaller budgets to get to get kind of a bit of a, a foothold and then grow your account from there. And, and is that one of your favorites, the placement targeting, just because it, it kind of eliminates waste? You get to you get to handpick where you want your your ads to show? Is that, is that the, the reason that's your favorite or one of your favorites? It, it, it is that. And it's also because when we review what where we're getting the conversions, like say, say for example, you've chosen a thousand videos, let's say, and of those 1,200 of them work really well for you. So now you've got 200 videos working evergreen and it's just great. You can then look at all the titles of those videos and you can see such interesting information because you can see like, okay, based off those titles, we can see that most people are wanting a fix fast or they want to kind of achieve this result or uh, maybe there's some trends in there that you can see. And all of a sudden you can be like, wow, I didn't anticipate that. Or maybe there's some nuances or some certain trends that you didn't um, pick up on or didn't imagine earlier. And all of a sudden you can be like, great, now that we know that data, we can create better video ads. Or we can um, expand as well because maybe there's something in there that's a new video that you hadn't thought of, but it's getting really good conversion rates for you. And you're like, wow, that's that's a new area. I didn't think of that. Maybe let's investigate that a little bit further. A good example of that is um, for one of my clients who is um, a public speaker in the UK. Um, so a topic that's close to my heart. <laughs> and um, he was uh, pr pr uh, promoting his video to get people to his event. And one of the really interesting videos where we got really good conversions for was based on meditation. So we wouldn't have 
thought of advertising on a meditation style right, video. Right, yeah. Um, doesn't necessarily come off as like, oh, yes, he's running a public speaking event. We must target <laughs> meditation. That didn't happen. Exactly. But then we're like, okay, great. Well, that's an interesting thing because we've got like, I think it's like 20 people going to this event based off this one video about this meditation topic. So then we said, okay, well, once if we advertise on more meditation videos, and that's exactly what we did. We just started grabbing a few more meditation videos. Again, about 50% of those worked really well. And we're like, wow, there seems to be such a good affinity between someone who's watching a, a meditation video and someone who wants to go to this event. Now, I was doing some research in the meditation world, and it, and it, show, and it shows that at that time, um, there's lots of publications about business and meditation and yes. how top CEOs are starting to meditate much more at work. And I was like, well, maybe that's the connection. Maybe that people are starting to want to get into meditation, give it a little bit of a check. And then they're like, oh, great. This is an event about public speaking. That seems something I would like to do as well. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I love the Tim Ferriss podcast. And he talks about that a lot, even as the, as he's interviewed, you know, all these top performing athletes and businessmen and politicians and things. I think he said something like 80% of them practice meditation. So mm. yeah, it's one of those things that if you were to sit down to brainstorm, you wouldn't necessarily think meditation video equals people doing public speaking. But I do I do see the connection. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So that's the beauty of running an in-stream to placement campaign is you get all this granular data that allows you to refine your message a little bit more so you can create new, better video ads for this audience. But also it shows you these new trends that you may not have um, anticipated. And so it can help you grow a little bit more as well. Um, Does that so, also you know, maybe influence the the keywords you're going to target later as well? So you start to see some of the titles. I don't know that meditation would, but you start to see some of the, the, the titles of the videos and things like that. Does that influence then how you maybe structure your keyword targeting later? Well, this is it. So once we've done that and, we, and we've seen what videos work really well or what video titles tend to re really resonate with the audience, then we start letting that influence our second type of campaign, which is an in-stream to keyword campaign. Um, the beauty with YouTube and keywords is that it's not based off the keyword of the video. So it used to be, but they made a change um, earlier this year. I think it was in January. Um, and now keyword targeting is based off people's search history so, so much more powerful so much more powerful it's, it's amazing isn't it right so um it i mean google say it's based off so i don't know if you've got any more data on this but google say it's based off someone's session and now i don't know what a session is that they say it's every time a browser is closed that's the end of a session um some people say it's off a timed um period i haven't seen anything from google being official but it's needless to say it's like when someone types in a keyword on google or youtube then it's based in their search history. We can then still advertise to them based on the keyword they typed in, um, which is really, really interesting because now we know what type of keywords they're typing into YouTube to get key, to get fine videos that are converting for them. We can use that data to start building out some in-stream to keyword data. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazingly powerful. And the funny thing about keyword targeting is that whilst they might not be necessarily... Um, they're not going to convert as well as an individual video that's working really well for you from an industry placement campaign. The scale on a good keyword can sometimes be colossal, especially if we're in a good niche uh, or niche. So if you targeted like an industry to keyword campaign and you've, and you, let's say, for example, you targeted like 20 different campaigns and you probably want to use something like how to videos, review videos, like use that as almost part of the keyword that you're going to choose to target and you find that like one out of 20 work really, really well, then, and you've, ta and you've chosen a hundred keywords, let's say, so you've got five keywords left that are, that are working in the ROI. The amount of scale that you can get on those keywords is sometimes colossal. 
and it means that you can really scale up some campaigns. And again, it's very, very reliable data. It's not going to fluctuate on you. It's not like Facebook where you get this fatigue issue or an algorithmic issue or anything like that. You tend to find that they, they become a really reliable source. The only problem with keyword campaigns, whilst the scale is there, it won't give you as much data as like a placement campaign would based on, hey, look, here's exactly what's working for your audience. You might get some some trends in there as well, but it's it's difficult to fully optimize a keyword campaign based on the video content, whereas you can do that from a placement campaigns. We love doing placement campaigns because it gives us so much data, but um, keyword campaigns give us a lot of scale as well. So it, it kind of has that. There's two sides of the different campaigns there. That's awesome. So we got we got in-stream to placement, in-stream to keyword. What would you what would you say next? For an e-commerce um, podcast that we're doing now, I would say the next one I would probably focus on, apart like remarketing is an obvious one and all that sort of stuff. I think that also what I might look at would be the in-market audiences and maybe some of the affinity audiences. So it's kind of more of an interest-based targeting. But um, let's say, for example, you're selling, um, well, you can, we, I've seen so many different trends before that have been so insightful, a bit like what we talked about earlier with the meditation to the public speaking stuff. The um, in-market audiences can be really, really powerful because they're just almost audiences built specifically for different types of businesses. So they can be really, really powerful. Great. And you want to explain that just for, for anybody that doesn't know what, it, what an in-market or affinity audience is? Yeah, sure. So there's slightly different um, ways of looking at it, but it's kind of like, um, I, I call it in the industry, or oh, sorry, in the agency here, we call it kind of traits and, and state. So yeah. a, um, a trait, like a personality trait, would be something where you're like, once you're interested in it, it's not going away. It's like a hobby that you're always interested in it. That would fall into like a, a affinity audience. Like if you're into, let's say, um, photography, you might fall into the affinity audience of a shutterbug, for example. Right. That, that's kind of like something there. Whereas an in-market audience is more like a a, a state that you're in. So um, I think it's built off the last seven to 14 days of activity that you've had on yeah, Google. That's my understanding as well, yeah. Yeah, so like if they've, if you've um, recently increased your behavior around a particular topic in the last seven to 14 days, maybe you've been to lots of blogs or you've watched some, certain videos or you typed in certain keywords a lot. Like say, for example, you're just about to go on holiday the natural thing is you'd be typing in hotels or car hire or flights and all that sort of good stuff. And so Google kind of know that, hey, you're going on holiday soon. So they put, put you into a, a, an in-market audience. I don't know what they'll call it, probably like holiday makers or something along those lines. And then as an advertiser, you can be like, great, these people are about to go on holiday. So we can advertise to them in different ways. You maybe, if you're a hotel, definitely advertise to them, um, especially um, if they're typing in your so, uh, your area. Um, if you're typing in, um, if they're like, if you're a car hire, maybe you want to advertise to them. If um, or whatever it is, if you're like a, if you've got a tourist attraction, for example, again, that's the perfect thing to be advertising on. Um, so with um, within market audiences, it's worth having a look at those audiences and seeing if any of them resonate. Um, so you can pick the right ones for you as, an, as a company. With the um, affinity audiences, again, you can pick from a, cat, a range of category, but the beauty of um, uh, affinity audiences is you can actually build your own as well. So you can build up what's called a custom affinity audience. And that's where you can plug in certain URLs of websites or keywords, and you can build your own affinity audience. Um, it's a bit more. It's like a bit more of an advanced thing, and it's not easy to get right from day one. But um, if you've got a really good video and you've got that audience there, sometimes even mix that in with some extra keywords as well. That can work really well to give you that 
extra scale as well. So there's, yeah, there's a few ways of doing that. Yeah, I love that. And, and custom affinity noise, that, that's something we're playing with a little bit as well. And it, and it is one, thing, one of those things where I think you need to, to get into the tool, start, start plugging in some parameters and see what that list looks like. But, but you know, we've done things and in this, we didn't invent this. We've heard other people talking about it, but for the custom affinity audience, even looking at your competitors. So mm. you sell skincare, you know, what are the top five or six competitors that sell something similar or trying to reach a similar audience? And then you can plug those URLs in and Google will kind of build you a list around that. Um, it's not as good as like if you could remarket to those, to those visitors, to, to your competitors <laughs> pages, but I guess it's maybe as close as you can get. So. Well, the other thing that we found really useful is that if you run that in-stream placement campaign and you find, let's say, even if you've got 15 URLs that works really well for you around a particular topic, use those URLs to build your customer affinity audiences. And uh, when you do that, then um, that you tend to get a much higher uh, kind of like focused in area about someone's particular um, behavior. And so it's like you can Google's normally matched it up pretty well with other people just like that. Um, but you, we often use filters as well. So we'll say it's a customer affinity audience and we're going to throw in a topic, for example, or a keyword or something along those lines. So it just refines that audience slightly um, or, or refines it quite heavily, in fact. But the, it means that you're kind of left with this really focused in audience where it's like they have to be part of this interest group and they have to have typed yes. this keyword in recently yeah. um, or be watching videos about this particular topic. And if you can get that working, then um, it just gives you that scale that is able to be controlled for a good ROI as well. So that can that can be a positive way of advertising as well. That's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. So let's dive into the actual video because this is something you're fantastic at. I've seen some of your videos. I've seen some of the campaigns you guys have created for your clients. They're phenomenal. But what are some tips you would share for creating a, a, video, a video that engages and then actually gets people to take action? And maybe if you want to break that down by kind of what stage uh, someone is in the shopping process and where you're targeting them but but give us some some insights on how to create a, an ad that works yeah this is a this is one that took me a, a big long, topic i know yeah it took me a long time to work out how to how to do this and like because i think a lot of it is innate with like you're in the advertising world and you just focus on it you're like yeah i kind of know what would resonate with this type of audience and you can write some really good scripts um and so like, trying to unpack that out of your own head is is difficult sometimes but i, I managed to do it for TNC, uh, the one that happened in March. And the the way that we look at it is to say, it depends on what sort of audience you're targeting, right? So if you're targeting like a remarketing audience or a retargeting audience, then you'd say those people already know who you are and are likely to kind of just need a reminder and need to just be like a conversion um, reminder really. Then you'll have some people that are search. So they're going to YouTube and searching this stuff out. So they're searching for what it is you potentially offer. And so those people are motivated already. And so don't need a big old sales pitch. They just want to like, cool. Like we talked about the stroller example earlier. It's like just give a really good demonstration of what your product does. And that'll do it. That's kind of what people are looking for. And then you'll also have those people that are the people that are interested, but they wouldn't have been looking for your product. So they're people like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that you can buy that sort of phone case. Uh, for your for the iPhone, but that looks amazing. I'm definitely gonna get that. Um, like I saw one, funny enough, I saw an iPhone case the other day where it has a little flip out the back, um, and it means that the iPhone can stand up. And I was just literally oh, on a little kickstand. Yeah, exactly. And I, nice. I was on a flight back from Spain. I just been just come back from vacation with the kids, and I had to hold the iPhone 
for about an hour and a half <laughs> on this flight because <laughs> yeah. my kids are falling asleep and they we had this weird scenario where I have to hold them and hold the phone for them and then they might eventually fall asleep. <laughs> First world problems, but but still, the, the, the arm yeah. fatigue is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A kickstand would have solved all my problems. So now I would easily go and buy that. If I saw that ad on YouTube, I would definitely go and buy it. So um, that's the thing. Is, so that's kind of like a, a really interesting side angle here. Say, for example, you had a product with a kickstand on it and then, um, and then you advertise to parents who are looking up baby-related products and you and you show with people why your iPhone is perfect for parents, then parents will buy it. That's that's the that's the thing is that like it depends on where people are at. They don't have to be searching for it. They just have to be in the, like interested in what it is you have. And so you have these three different markets. You have these people that are interested, but probably not at, like wanting to desperately go and buy your products straight away. Um, those are the kind of like what we would call window shoppers. They're outside, but they were they were walking past your shop if you had like a store 20 years ago. They'd be walking past, and what you have in your store window is enough for them to stop and think, that's cool. I've never seen that before. Actually, let me have a look, quick look again. So they look through the window at that point, and they're window shopping. They're kind of like, they're interested, but they can go out with the intention to go and buy what it is that's in that store. Then they might turn into an in-store shopper. So they come in store if they're really motivated, or they may have kind of already know what they're in the market for. So they're like walking straight down the um, high street, straight into that store, because they're like, I know what I want, I'm coming here, um, or I know I need to talk to a sales rep here and ask a few questions before I make it my purchase. So say, for example, I needed a new TV, I would walk down to my local uh, store and I'd ask them loads of questions about the different TVs they have on offer. I'd be like, great, cool, that one, let's go for it now. Um, and so I'll become like an in-store shopper. Um, and I'm, I'm much closer to making a purchasing decision, but I don't want to be sold to. I want information and I can make my own decision up. Um, and then you get those final people that are at the checkout. So they're kind of at the checkout shoppers are people that know which product they want. They probably just need a bit of a, a bump over the edge. They just be like, okay, cool. What's the guarantee on this again? What's the warranty? And and can I pay this in installments or do I have to pay up all front now? Those people are like, they know they want the product. It's just... Can they, can they make that decision there and then? And so when you have like the, if you can think about your audience and try and categorize them into either, they, are they a window shopper, are they in-store shopper, or are they a checkout shopper, then you know not only which targeting will work best for them. So there's a whole grid that we I built for the presentation, but it's kind of like, um, like the placement targeting would work really well for all three tar- like markets, in fact. But um, something like the keyword targeting would work really well for an in-store shopper. For example, if they're typing in reviews of videos or they're like how-to videos, for example, that would tend to get those search traffic, that in-store shopper. But if you know how you're targeting your audience, then the messaging behind that becomes so much easier to create an ad for. Because if you're targeting a, um, a checkout shopper, it's simply a case of, okay, cool. Um, by the way, when you buy this product or if you're interested in this offer that we have for you, you've got this amount of time or oh, these are the things that comes with, uh, go and make your purchase here now, done. Click this link in this video right now. It's, it's like as simple as just a bit of a reminder, call to action type thing. If you're getting in front of an in-store shopper, then um, those people need a demonstration of your product. They need to know um, maybe a few of the features, a few of the benefits in less than a minute. Um, and really just, you want to make sure you deliver enough content so they're thinking, that's cool. That's really, that's, that looks like a really cool product. Um, or that was really, really useful information. What's next? If you can get them to think like that, and then the call to action comes next, which you would have done anyway for the checkout shopper, you're basically just putting those two things together. So a good demonstration with a call to action at the end of it, that's good enough as long as you're getting in front of a good audience. And then if you're getting in front of a um, check, uh, the window shopper, then 
you need to make sure you just bump on the front of all of that process. You need to bump on the front like a something that's going to grab their attention, something that's going to be a little bit different, like a pattern interrupt can work uh, particularly well. Um, something that just grabs their attention from the very beginning. And anything you can do there to grab their attention. So if you know you're getting in front of like, let's say, for example, parents with this kickstand iPhone, what do you call it, um, case? Yep, case. <laughs> then um, for, for that audience, you could say, hey, look, if you're a parent and you have problems with uh, your kids on planes, let me, let me show you the latest product that you can absolutely love. Something like that would just be like, cool. I think every parent who's... Every parent would be in at that point. They would, they would definitely watch the next few seconds. Exactly. Anything to make your life easier on a plane, like everyone is definitely taking that option, <laughs> whatever that might be. And so um, it, it's just kind of like it's just grabbing their attention from the very beginning. Um, you can always do something different, but just like calling out what you're going to help them with. Um, at the very start, that video is really useful. And they say, let me give you a demonstration of how this product works. Then you go and give that demonstration and say, here's how you can go and buy it. Click here right now. It's, it's literally a case of like that three-step process. Grab their attention, give them a really, really good piece of advice, and then show them how to get the action. And if you remember that, there's three A's um, of um, attention, advice, and action. You'll find that you can create really, really good video ads because you're just meeting the customer with where they're at, what like their mindset, you're kind of understanding what they're going through at that stage and just being a normal human to human interaction, not being a salesperson to a customer, but just playing, hey, actually this product can actually really, really help you in this scenario. Let me show you how. And that's going to be like, you're almost giving advice and you're being helpful to the user. And if you can do that, then your conversion rates always skyrocket. And that's the difference with YouTube compared to someone like Facebook or TV advertising or anything like that. YouTube, you can you know what their intent is, you know what their um, you know what their desires are, you know what they're looking for, and if you can get in front of them with a really good message and you have the right product for that as well, your your message doesn't need to be outrageously amazing and salesy. It just needs to be really useful, and that's the beauty of YouTube is that you don't have to have this um, kind of like salesmanship skill. You just have to be useful and be a normal human being, and you'll make sales. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love it. And, and so, when do you know? And I know part of this answer is just your experience and because you've run, you know, hundreds of campaigns, but when, when do you know that let's say performance is not there? Okay. Let's say you're, you're running a campaign, you're not seeing the performance you'd hoped for. When do you know that it's the video versus your targeting and, and how might you suggest someone troubleshoot that? Good question. And this is always a, it's always a, um, uh, we say in the UK, um, six of one and half a dozen of the other. Right, I'm not sure if you, right. if you use that yeah, same yeah, yeah. phrase. We do, yeah. we do. So the way I look at it is when we first start out with the first campaign, we try and identify a moment that the customer goes through. Okay, let me try and think of a different scenario altogether. Like, okay, so I ran the London Marathon a year and a half ago. Nice. Um, and yes, it's a really cool experience. But um, I literally left myself, um, I think it was about 15 weeks to run it. And I had not done any training. And uh, it was one of my friends pulled out for this for a charity uh, that we've got. And um he pulled out because of injury and on the WhatsApp group, he said, yeah, I'm, I can't run the London Marathon any longer. Can someone take my space? You've got like three days to, to confirm it so you can actually pass this ticket across to the next person. And um, I was like, yeah, sure, i do it. And I don't know why I said that. I, I, I just, it was a public announcement to everyone in this WhatsApp group. Yeah, <laughs> then, you couldn't, then you couldn't back out at that point. Uh, yeah, exactly. Once it's said there, you, you're stuck. And, um, and they're like, great, thanks so much. Here's a few kind of things you need to do to register the ticket in your name and all that sort of stuff. But before I did that, I just quickly went online and said, how to run a marathon. That was like literally the first thing I typed That's in. That's awesome. How to run a marathon. And uh, it was like the first blog I read was like, 
do not even attempt unless you've got like 25 weeks of training um, ahead of you. <laughs> and, um, I was like, right, I've got yeah. 15 left. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, way behind already. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so so at that moment, I went Google crazy. I was like, right, I need to get some marathon training shoes. I need to work out how to plan. What, what do I eat? What, what, so many questions going through my head at that point. Not many people go through that moment. Not many people go through that kind of like horrible moment of like, crap, I haven't got enough time to do this. But a lot of people go through the moments of things like, um, at what point do like a marathon training plan? Like that was something I typed in quite soon after this immediate panic. I was like, okay, marathon training plan. How do I actually train for this marathon? What do I need to do specifically day by day? And wanted to know. And immediately then I saw an ad from a, like I'd see it all on blogs and stuff. These like ads from Marathon Runner and all this like website magazine subscriptions and stuff. And I was like, well, I don't really want to subscribe to a magazine. I just want to know what to do. Right, right. But there was never a good ad. I was on YouTube. I was on any, and there's never a good ad for that content. Interesting. And even if now, if you type in marathon training plans, there might be a, like a running magazine like ad, for example, but there's never like, okay, if, you, if you're about to run a marathon, here's the best training plan here for you right now. Click this link. It's cost you $15 and it will tr- show you exactly how to do it. People are crying out for that sort of advice and we'll pay for it. Um, it could also be a great angle for someone that sells running shoes or other gear or supplements or whatever, you know, to offer that guide and, exactly, and yeah. build a list to sell those products. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. Precisely. So, so what we do is we identify these moments that customers go through and we try and zero in on just one moment and to get so granular to it. So we just know exactly what people are going through. A big enough moment so enough people go through it. But uh, one of those moments where it's like, right, who are we selling to and what message can we have for them? So um, one of the um, one of the things I thought about recently was like, well, just before you um, run a marathon, you realize maybe a month in advance, Me for me it was two weeks in advance, but I was like, I'm going to need to stay somewhere the night before the marathon. I haven't even thought about that. And so I, I ended up traveling from home because I couldn't find a space because all the hotels were booked out. Um, but I was just thinking like for a hotel, if you were like not booked out, you, you, you could have easily been booked out with just a couple of ads running Interesting. at the yeah. right time. Um, and that's the thing, it has to be at the right time. So if you had, as a hotel, like got in front of me when I was typing in what marathon shoes are the best, um, I probably wouldn't have bought or even been interested in, in hearing about a, a great um, hotel, for example. But that time, which I'm typing in things like how to taper, I'm like, which is like when you slow down your exercise, normally happens around about three weeks prior to the uh, running. And if you had done an advert as a hotel to people typing in how to taper for the marathon, but your mar- your hotel is near the start line of the marathon or near the end line uh, end point of the marathon, people will be booking in those ho- hotels left, right, and center. So much so that the demand will be so high that you could put someone like some VIP. Uh, package together where you yeah. kind of like say, hey, this is going to be three times as much as it normally would be. Um, you wouldn't have to say that, but you, it could be three times as much. But then you could say the night before in the morning of you get a massage, plus you eat the right food the night before and the morning of based on um, this runner's like recommendation of what to eat before a marathon. Um, we'll kind of get you set up. We do a mini bus straight to the um, uh, kind of like straight to the uh, start line. All this, you could have made like a, a great VIP package for hardly anything, charge people a fortune for it and people would have bought, I would have bought. If I, so someone puts like a VIP package, if anything makes my life easier before, before an event like a marathon, I'm in. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's an easy win to, to, but you kind of like identify these different moments your customers are going through target like that specifically and you say right anytime someone types in that or watches this video or anything about that i know what they're going through i'm going to create a video ad specifically for that if you can't get that to work then there's a problem with that whole strategy because the targeting 
on YouTube is, is pretty granular when you want it to be. Plus also it's right now it's very, very cheap. And if you're creating a video ad that's good enough, doesn't if you kind of like, if it looks awful, then sure, you've got a problem there. But like, if you think, well, that's a good enough ad and people will like it and get useful content out of it and there's a good call to action there and the offer's strong as well, then that should all work. It, it's logical that like you're getting the right video or the right message in front of the right person at exactly the right time. You should make some sales very, very cost effectively. So really good ROI. If that doesn't work out, then I would look at it and be like, Specifically, what's not working? What's the? I'd look at things like the engagement rate on the video. Um, is are people just hating the video, for example, um, or are people clicking through to the website and then not making a purchase? What's the problem here? Because typically, when you target via that moment and you know you've chosen a good moment, like you think, yeah, this this makes a lot of logical sense, and we can definitely get this to work, and then it doesn't work. It's, it's not normally the video. It's not normally the targeting. It's normally on the website. There's, there's normally something where the offers just. Yeah. Um, and it's just not right thing. Yeah, maybe you've misidentified the moment. Maybe the call to action is not interesting or, or, or compelling enough. But yeah, likely it could could be the website. That that's a great that's a great point. Yeah, I think that like if you look at something like uh, Facebook advertising, then you're kind of you've got one video in front of a mass audience, and you're thinking well, they could all be interested in this. Let's just run this ad. And you're not sure how well it's going to resonate with the audience. And some people are going to like it, some people won't. You don't have that on YouTube if you're targeting by moments. You're saying this is the video specifically for this person's individual moment at this time. And it will, will make it work. And it, if it doesn't work, it'd be a real surprise. But you, so you get it to work. Once it's working and honed in and scaled, then you go into the next moment. And you just keep on kind of creating more and more of these moments that are evergreen and just building and building and building. So you can just let them run as they should do. And, uh, and that's how you build a YouTube ad advertising campaign. That's awesome. I love it. And, and so you talked a little bit about, um, you know, engagement metrics and how much someone is, is watching or viewing through the ad. What, what are some of those metrics that you guys pay attention to? So obviously it all comes down to conversions, right? It all comes down to either leads or sales. That's the ultimate metric and, and the, one that, the only one that, that matters. But there are also these smaller metrics you can kind of fine tune that will help in the earlier stages uh, what what advice would you give there on other metrics to pay attention to versus metrics to potentially ignore because they don't mean anything? What advice would you give there? Yeah, good. And um, so when it comes to the videos, I'd normally look at view rate. Um, so that's the number of views that you had past 30 seconds compared to the number of times your video actually loaded. Um, so um, say, for example, your in-stream ad loaded a thousand times, but only 5% of people watched past 30 seconds, that's a problem. Um, you want to make sure that view rate is 20% or more, hopefully more. Um, and the reason being is because when it comes to YouTube, um, first of all, you want to have a good video out into the marketplace and that's a good uh, performance measurement. But um, also what YouTube are looking for are good ads on YouTube. And so that'll come down to slightly about your video ad, but slightly also down to your targeting. If you've got very poor targeting going on, your view rates obviously going to be low because if it's irrelevant to the user, then they won't be interested in the video from the very beginning. So you want to make sure your view rates above 20% um, because YouTube will start rewarding good videos and give you more scale and give you more opportunity to to be seen more often. It's really the equivalent of, of click-through rate on the search side, right? Where Google favors ads that have a high click-through rate, impacts your quality score, you get lower CPCs. That's really what view-through rate is on, on the video side, correct? Exactly, it's like a quality score or a relevancy score. Yeah, like view rate's the one most accurate one I can find from, from YouTube and we normally try and get it above 20%. And that's kind of like our standard, standard uh, number. Um, 
And then the other thing we look at as well is uh, display impression share quite a lot of as well. So um, sometimes, well, there's so many things we look at, including things like cost per view, how much are you actually paying per view to be seen. Um, but the yeah, display impression share is a, quite an interesting one for us. You'll find it in the um, in your AdWords reporting. But um, display impression share basically tells you of all the potential views you could have had, here's how many you had as a percentage. And say, for example, you're doing really well in a campaign and your your display impression share is at like 15% or something like that. That means you're missing out on 85% of the potential views you could have had. So you've got, so you've got huge room to grow at that point. Exactly, yeah. And so you uh, with, with the current parameters you've got in place based on demographic targeting and placement or keyword targeting, based on what your ad setup is right there and then, here's how much you're getting out of what you could have potentially got. And the beauty of that is that, like, you can see how much room there is to grow, as you quite rightly say. Um, but also, if it's not letting you grow, like, you can do some things around it. So you can either improve the video ad and get that uh, view rate above 20%, and that might help. Um, or what you can do is you can increase the cost per view. Um, obvious one, if you haven't done so yet, is increase the daily budget, because that's an obvious one if you're, right. if you're not getting the right. impression shares because of your budget, that's one thing. Um, so it could be, like, your doing really well and but you haven't got very good um, impression share and that might be because your cost per view is a little bit too low or your daily budgets are too low. But the other one as well is um, ad rank in there as well. So it will tell you how well your video is performing and if you're missing out on that impression share based off the fact that your video isn't being, isn't a very good video. Um, so you can always change that up as well. That's always a difficult one to improve even if you've got a much better video ad um, we find. But um, we've seen it jump up and down and, and when you get it right, it's great. And we never like to go above 85% impression share anyway because we feel like um, if we go above that, sometimes you start getting into this realm of not such good quality traffic because it's just trying to get everywhere at that point. You kind of want to let the, um, the you don't want to kind of be spending at 100% impression share because you're just absolutely everywhere all the time. That can be uh, not always a good thing. Yeah, it's really interesting that you said that. We, we, we do the same thing. So on the Google shopping side, we look at search impression share and we look at almost the same way where we say, you know, if we're at 20% search impression share and we're profitable, like, whoa, we got all this room to grow. But yeah, once you start getting that 85 plus, you, you kind of know you're getting into wasteful territory if you go much beyond that. So that's really, <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, well, Tom, this has been phenomenal. Like I want, I want to do part two now. There's actually more questions I want to ask you, but we're, <laughs> we're up against time. So this has been, this has been uh, amazing. Uh, if someone is listening and they say, okay, I, I'm, I'm sold, I'm convinced, I've got to dig in to YouTube, but I don't want to do it. I either, I either want to learn from Tom or I just want Tom to run this for me. How can people connect to your, your agency and your academy and some, some of your resources? Yeah, so everything is on Viewability's website. So that's viewability.co.uk. And if you go there, then um, we've got, as you say, like the agency and we've also got the academy. The agency is like obviously where we do it for clients. And we've listed some of the clients earlier. And we actually have a discovery tool on there as well. So it can see if YouTube ads will be right for you. And also if um, if we're the right agency fit for you as well. Because we do have a, a CPA agency, a cost per acquisition agency. So it's a slightly different setup to most agencies. But 
you can find out all about that on the website. And then um, we also have the academy, which is where uh, for the right people that are wanting to advertise on YouTube and really get it right from the very beginning, get it set up properly is the academy. And that's kind of like where we walk through people through how to set up their ad, ad accounts, get it working. And kind of like what we've covered here on the session today is like we'll go through it in granular details and walk it through so it's it's um, easy to implement. Yeah, and if nothing else, so you got to go to the website and also just check out the process because I, I love what you do how you lead people through those three questions to ask to determine if YouTube advertising is right. Then you've got these custom videos based on people's answers that play. It's an awesome funnel you've got set up. So if nothing else, go and check out and, and uh, view Tom's funnel. It's, it's well worth the time to view that. That, that funnel is, um, is every um, person, we've worked it out, the stats on it as well. Every person that's been through that funnel and uh, got through it, it's worth $75 to us. Whoa. Each person that's through it. Yeah, that's it's crazy, amazing. Right? That is amazing. <laughs> it's very good, yeah. Well, Tom, has been phenomenal, man. I can't wait to see you at Content and Commerce. We'll have to chat there. And so a quick plug for that event. I get nothing from this, but if you're not signed up for Content and Commerce and if you're listening to this before the event takes place, which is uh, September 18th, 19th, and 20th, 2017 in LA. Uh, so if you're listening before then and you can make it, I'd love to have you come out. Tom and I'd love to meet you. And uh, so with that, though, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. This has been tremendous and we'll have to do it again sometime. Thanks, Brett. All right, very good. And as always, guys, thanks for tuning in. Please let us know what you'd like to hear more of, other topic suggestions or ideas. We'd love your review on iTunes as always. And with that, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.